Hi, and welcome to this installment of our Visionary Series, where we profile the people behind the future of farming. You can join the discussion on this topic and more at our Vision Conference, January 14th through 16th in Seattle. See the full agenda and speaker lineup at thevisionconference.com. I'm David Frabata with PrecisionAg.com. I'm joined today by Michael Ott. He's founder and CEO of Rantizo. Rantizo is a UAV precision input application company, and it's fully licensed to apply crop protection products and other inputs in 10 states. Uh, it's act- actively seeking other licenses as well. And uh, he'll be speaking about Rantizo's growth at the Vision Conference coming up in January. Michael, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. We're excited to talk about all the, the great things that are going on in precision application using drones. There's a lot of new things going on, right? There's a lot to talk about in this space. Um, but before we get to where you're at today and uh, where the uh, UAV applications are going, I wanted to take a step back, get to know a little bit more about how Rantizo started and why you knew UAV applications could work in the U.S. when much of the rest of the ag industry was saying that um, this methodology probably was going to be relegated to specialty crops. It probably didn't have wide-scale adoption potential on large acre crops. Um, and your, your licenses in, in key, key row, row crop states kind of show the opposite. So, um, Maybe you could start by talking a little bit about your background. What did you do before this? Sure. And why did you? Yeah, before this. Yeah. Sorry, I stepped on your, you're in there. But uh, before this, I worked in a, with a corporate venture capital group, and we were looking at early stage technologies for agriculture and energy. And I developed a way to put a small amount of nitrogen on a rice seed as it grows and got me thinking like, that's a pretty cool thing to put just a tiny amount on the right spot at the right time. What are other ways that we can do that? Because frankly, that's a better way to do things rather than drenching a bunch of nitrogen in the form of ammonia or manure or something else. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about, all right, what are other ways that we can do it? And looked at what was happening with drones and how that technology was becoming looked larger and more reliable, had some special spraying technologies that we were looking at, and just saw that these things seemed to be dovetailing nicely where there was more capability and uh, more ability to use uh, imagery to really get into just the exact locations that are needed. So kind of started with that general concept and then just worked and worked and worked it with a bunch of smart people and, uh, and came to what Rantizo is today. And when was that? Uh, so that would have been kind of winter of 2017, going into 2018, kind of thinking through all the different details. And then we kind of looked at, all right, what are the business models? Who are the people that we should be talking to? <clears throat> Initially, we were thought about selling to farmers and then realized by selling to ag retailers, 
we could get into a lot more acres with a fewer number of sales. And as a startup, you've always got to be efficient. And it's not super easy for me to go out and market to the thousands of farmers that are out there, but it is pretty possible to go talk to hundreds of ag retailers. So that's been our channel to market, and that's where we're developing solutions that are exactly what they tell us they want to buy. So you're really just talking about a year or two now, and your penetration is into how many retail outlets? Uh, so in terms of retail outlets, that's, that's where we're, we're pushing into right now. So that, that's really the focus. We've been preparing to get uh, a product ready for retail outlets, and then we're going to push that out over this winter and then be into, the, into, those, uh, into those, making those sales over the course of the winter and getting them out in the field next year. So up until now, we've been selling to uh, farmers that want to try it, people that are setting up their own spraying business, um, and we've been kind of refining the product up until this time. I see. So there's a there's an alternate um, parallel channel that is forming in some respects to to provide that service for farmers up to now until retail yep. channels engage. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like, all right, all right, what do people want? What works? Who who will take this and, and and run with it? And we've had the people that have bought our units and are kind of buying into the system and going they're busier than they can handle. So especially at the end of this year, when we got all of our permits and all of our things going, they were, they were moving. Um, uh, it, it was, it was a lot, it was a lot of opportunities in terms of uh, late season fungicide applications, uh, some spot herbicide applications, cover crop seeds. So we're doing both liquid and dry applications as well. So there's a lot of things that, that can be done, which are, which are pretty exciting. Now, now, like I kind of said in the intro, uh, this was widely assumed it uh, farms in the U.S. would be too large for this to develop any sort of wide scale adoption. Um, yep. But it sounds like you're you're kind of bucking the uh, common common knowledge here, um, conventional wisdom. Why why is that? What are you doing? And and how much sure. are you so we identify bottlenecks and see, okay, what are the things that's stopping us and then develop, you know, solutions there. So we're currently spraying 100 acres a day from one of our units. Uh, so that breaks down to about 14 acres an hour. And to our knowledge, that's the current best in class in terms of drone spraying. When you account for everything and spray at a legal insurable rate. Um, so that is assuming that we've got our drone with a 14 foot boom, spraying a 20 foot swath through the field at a three gallon per acre rate, we can do 14 acres an hour. We've got to reload that manually. Uh, so we're working on an, and that takes about two minutes every time it's on the ground. We're working on an automated loading system that'll take about 30 seconds. And that'll increase our throughput to 20 to 23 acres an hour. Uh, then we'll do swarms where we can have multiples up and we're working on a pathway for three drones. So when you've got three, you'll do 55 to 60 acres an hour. So once you've got all those things, which we should have ready to go, hopefully by the middle part of the 2020 application season, we'll be doing 500 to 600 acres in a day. 
And that's pretty close to what a ground rig would do. Uh, and, and that's kind of assumed to be parity uh, uh, with, with their application levels. So we're getting to be, you know, within a year, we should cover the same amount of acreage that a traditional system can do. I think that's much faster than anybody anticipated we can do it. And I think the, the thing that we learned is figure out what your bottlenecks are and then just address those. And then all the other problems take care of themselves. And that's per machine, correct? Uh, yeah. So that'd be one person out there doing, you know, five to 600 acres a day with three drones all in one uh, custom unit that that's what we're, what we're putting together and building. Exactly. Talk about that uh, automated refill station. Are you, is it a, is it sure. a docking station that changes out the battery in the tank? Uh, exactly. So we'll understand, you know, by using imagery or some agronomist input, okay, what are the things that we need to apply? And then we can <clears throat> mix up a, a, a load that has all herbicide, maybe some herbicide insecticide, whatever the, whatever the issue is. We can have that up and ready so when the drone sprays, it's going back and forth and spraying. The next load is being prepared. When it lands, it connects, quickly loads back up, and gets back up in the air and is, and is, is applying. And once again, we're going into just the precise locations that are needed. We can do the whole field, but with this capability, there's really not a need to do that because we can look exactly where the problems are and just spray right there. So, so talk about that dynamic a little more. You've got imaging systems that are helping to guide your decision-making for uh, areas to spray, types of uh, products to spray. Can you, can you talk a little bit about how that interaction works and how it fits sure. into a farmer's current operation? Right. So everybody's gathering images. Some people turn that into data. A fewer, a smaller set turn that into actionable intelligence. So it's pretty easy to get pictures of your field or NDVI images. You can kind of get like a heat map, red and green blotches. That's good. What we want to understand is in those red problematic areas, what's the issue? What's the problem there? Is that some insect infestation? Is it a nutrient deficiency? What is the thing that's causing that problem? And so then when we identify that, usually in partnership with a agronomist or, you know, imagery interpretation uh, company, then uh, we can say, all right, we need to deliver a little bit of sulfur, boron, insecticide, you name it, whatever it is, we can get it out there. So then we'll go just to those spots and then fly in and drop in the uh, input that's needed to, to solve that. And we can be really nimble and, you know, you detect it Tuesday morning. Uh, many times we could be there Tuesday afternoon and spray uh, what, right, what you need, where you need it. And this is impacting uh, crop inputs, the volumes that we're putting on the ground as we know it, right? Oh, significantly, because a lot of times you need to spray 15% of your field, 20% of your field. It was 15.15, not 5.0. So you, uh, you can really cut back on your input usage, and then that'll have the uh, improvements in, you know, overspray reduction, drift reduction, runoff. You know, all those things are going to be improved. And this is an argument that 
I made when I was lobbying in DC, like if you give me better broadband access, you know, in rural areas, I can reduce your water treatment uh, costs because you'll spray significantly less uh, fertilizer. So you'll, you won't have that runoff and, and, and nitrogen to deal with in the water system. And that can be achieved by, you know, better broadband. Let's talk a little bit about the, that legislative action. Uh, you recently participated in AUVSI's Legislative Action Day on the Hill. Uh, what are some yeah. of the talking points uh, that you guys used, and, and what do we need yep. to educate our congressmen about? Sure. Uh, increased rural broadband is such a huge issue. It's, it's important for rural economies. It's important for uh, just education. I mean, there's a lot of big, like, overarching things where rural broadband is, is a huge deal. For us, it's also important because it'll enable precision application. Because we're going out in the field assuming that we don't have Wi-Fi, so we go out with a good plan. Uh, if we could tweak that and change it, we could be even better. And we could even get to the stage where we're detecting, you know, closer to real time and then applying right there. Right now it's a multi-pass system where you take an image, interpret it, and then go spray. <clears throat> so that's a, a big thing that's improving. The other thing that we're looking at is swarming. So the ability to fly multiple units at once. And to the FAA's credit, I mean, they haven't had to deal with these things before because the concept of one pilot flying three helicopters or four planes that doesn't really make sense or exist. But okay. with drones, we can easily do that. In fact, right now, I can fly five of my units at once. That's technologically easily done. I mean, that's, been, that's existed for months now. Mm -hmm. The regulatory environment, understandably, is a little bit slow to catch up to what technology can do, especially with these brand new concepts. So it was a lot of just educating, you know, here's where we are, what we're doing. And uh, it generally was just received very well because people realize this is the future. And there's so many secondary benefits that come from uh, increased uh, efficiency in application of inputs in the field. So you talked about rural broadband. Obviously, this is USDA right now. They're forming a committee to examine the issue. Is there any updates on uh, how that pr committee is progressing? Uh, I don't have that. I know we, we talked to them when we were out there, and they said that this is exactly what they were hoping for. And uh, I volunteered to come out and do demonstrations or just show people, you know, because this is, this is a real-world example of, we can be super nimble in the field and, you know, with our RTK systems, we're within three centimeters of where we intend to be. So I can get out and get very close to spraying, you know, weed to weed of, of where you want to go versus just a blanket application. And so we can show that to people. And uh, once, once you see it and like you see how big these drones are people realize, oh, that's real. Like, I thought it was just a little toy because everyone's seen the, you know, the toy drones that are, they're cool, they're fun. You know, they're 18 inches long. And that's awesome. But we're something that our drone is about six feet across with a boom, it's 14 feet. And it's a real uh, piece of technology. It's a tool that you can use in the field right now. Yeah, these are agriculture machines, not something you can buy in your local store. Exactly, exactly.
So you talked a little bit about um, swarming, um, and you you didn't mention beyond the line of sight. So Bevelos flight was approved for the first time in um, in applications for electricity and uh, infrastructure inspection. Is there any thoughts on how long that might take to trickle into act? Uh, I, I hope that it comes soon. It's an important thing for us, but not as important as swarming. Uh, so while we're, you, you can only have so many priorities. Um, loss is, uh, is a, a big deal and others are kind of taking that and running with it. And we're happy to, that they're having success and we're supporting it for us. The real big thing is swarming. Um, but being able to do things beyond visual line of sight certainly is helpful as well. All right, very good. So, you know, looking at um, the expansion um, that you've been able to enjoy, it's just been about two years now. It looks like you're in approved, fully licensed in 10 states. How, um, what, what's next for your focus? Clearly, uh, swarming is something that's going to help you become more efficient. Are you looking to focus on your efficiencies or your expansion in the next year? Uh, it's, a, it's a good mix of both. So by being more efficient and being able to cover a lot more ground, we can then catch up to all the areas where we can, uh, where we can apply. So <clears throat> on a regulatory side, we're focused on getting into the most important states for agriculture and, and doing things where we can legally apply. So we started in Iowa, that's where we're based. And most states have reciprocity, that meaning if you're touching that state and you have a permit, you can get a reciprocal permit in, in a neighboring state. So we're going out with a dedicated uh, strategy, starting in Iowa, then getting to Pennsylvania, Georgia, Louisiana, and so we'll kind of cover the eastern and then south from there and then moving over to Arizona, California, and Oregon. So basically when you've got all those states, a lot of those will touch, you know, the neighboring states. So we'll be able to get into hopefully 30 or 40 by the end of next year uh, and just kind of keep pushing through and then having the ability to be legally fly in those states and then having products and finding contractors and partners that can go actually drop in those agricultural inputs in all those different locations. It sounds like demand has been, um, has met, met you uh, with the supply that you're offering. Is this a tough sell in this macroeconomic environment or people hesitant to try something new? Uh, the, the hesitance comes from, can this work? Once people see it and they see the stats and they see the numbers, they generally jump right on board. So we've had a lot of success with our initial contractors. When they're going to do an application for someone, they'll invite five to 10 neighboring farmers to come check it out. And almost always one or two of those buys the services. A lot of times they want to just buy a drone as well. So that's been a great way to kind of build uh, the market awareness and, and have people see it. And uh, it's been working really well. And as I said, the people that are doing it, they're busier than they can handle. In fact, uh, a lot of times people were concerned of like protecting their territory and making sure no one else was drone spraying in their area. 
And towards the end of the year, one of our guys was like, I'm so busy. I can't handle all these calls coming in. So he was working with our other contractors to come help him out and, and uh, provide service to his customers. So that's really the exciting things that we've been, that we've seen kind of where the contractors are talking amongst themselves and everything's working well together. So that's uh, a fun thing to be, uh, to be a part of. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how this gets set up in a practical application and what maybe some of the barriers are to integration. You know, we just finished a series of thought leadership meetings with Meister Media. It included uh, our Precision Ag Institute partner meeting and our PACE Council, which is multidisciplinary across every um, ag vertical. And a theme that kept surfacing was that Integration, whether talking about interoperability of the technology or integration into the current production system, were usually where technologies fail or flourish. So what are some of the challenges you face when you're setting up an operation and, and how do you overcome it? Sure. So to legally drone spray, you need three things. Uh, two of them are very easily obtained. First is a Part 107, which is a drone pilot's license. Second is a uh, state pesticide applicator license. You basically study and take a test. You're ready to go within a week of, of whatever you need. <clears throat> the third thing that's pretty hard to get is a 137, and that's uh, awarded by the FAA and is good in all 50 states. And Rantizo has that, and we can apply that for our contractor partners. So that's been something that we've been able to do successfully. Uh, and accordingly, we need to train people. So we've got all this training program now set up where someone comes in and they may know a lot about drones and a lot about agriculture or very little about both. And so we tailor the program to them. So it's telling them about uh, what needs to be sprayed, when it's sprayed, uh, the application rates, learning a little bit about weather, learning a little bit about, uh, you know, the different uh, aeronautical terms and all of that. And then at the end of it, we've got uh, a certificate that you can, that the uh, participant will achieve when there is satisfied uh, the requirements of the chief pilot. So that's kind of that process of training that we've now formalized, and then we're rolling that out to, uh, to, to multiple people in multiple states. And you're right that that comes into interoperability because it's all those things. You've got to understand ag, got to know a little bit about spraying, know some things about the weather, know some things about aeronautics. So making all those systems and, and being able to understand those things is really important. So it's really a multidisciplinary thing that I've dedicated time on the team to hiring technology people, agriculture people, pilots, all that stuff. So we've got everything in there that, that we need. And uh, it's fun to see it all come together. So in the scenario you laid out where you might have a field day and a farmer could see the technology in action and they fall in love with it and they say, I want to buy one of these for myself. What's that service lifeline like to that grower so that he is comf has a comfort level in it and can optimize that? Technology? Sure. Yeah. So the drones that we have, we teach you how to fly them and the, and the drones fly themselves. So we actually do very little true piloting. It's more setting it up 
mapping out where you want it to go and then uh and then the drone takes it from there and they've got terrain following they've got collision avoidance they've got smart batteries so you can't fly out farther than uh than the battery has charged to get back in fact the one and only incident we've had uh somebody flew about a mile and a half away and then the drone ran out of battery and landed in somebody's uh driveway and we were talking like trying to do and like why did this happen what went on they're like and the person operating it said well four times the drone said it wanted to turn back and come home and i just hit override override like well if you override the system four times then you're going to have an incident like that but like trust the system it's going to work it'll it'll be fine but if you if you you know that that i would say is human pilot error rather than a, a flaw of the system. So that's the type of thing. And that's the worst thing that's happened to us so far. So they're, they're relatively easy to use and we'll train you how to make sure that you're doing it correctly. So was, uh, was this technology even available uh, just a few years ago? You know, sometimes when we discuss at our editorial meetings, the megatrends that are coming together, we kind of see computing power and AI and storage capacity and connectivity and all these things really hitting an inflection point that is allowing uh, users to be more comfortable with it, allowing progress to take to happen faster. Are, are these things that you talk about in your boardroom too? Yeah, absolutely. For us, we're looking at improvements in uh, energy storage that can be both electric batteries and then maybe uh, liquid or gas powered that can go into a hybrid motor. So looking at those trends overall, looking at things that are happening in terms of commoditization of software, like a lot of things that were like super interesting, appealing software two years ago now is standard. Like just like everybody has returned to home. Everybody has uh, detection of when the, the material's running out. Uh, everybody has automated route planning. So things that were like unique and cool are now like a standard feature. So kind of we keep thinking about, all right, what are the things that are going to become standards? Let's make sure that we have that. But then also, what are the things that are setting us apart? And for us, it's, you know, the whole integrated system of partnering with imagery companies, mix and fill system, drones apply themselves, and the ability to verify what you're doing, handle all the insurance and permitting and billing and, and all of that. So that full service model is really what we've heard people want, and uh, it's been working for us. Is this how you articulate uh, this phenomenon, this dynamic outside the organization too? Is it uh, something you have to um, explain? I mean, these are professional farmers and retailers. Is it is there still an intimidation factor that you've got to really simplify the, um, the message so that they understand this is going to integrate into your production system? Yeah, and I think people initially when you see a new technology, the standard thing is to be scared of it and then dismiss it. Like, oh, that can't work. That's too small. That'll never work. I've got something. It already solves all the problems. And then you get to talking to someone like, well, you know, it was really rainy last Thursday. You needed to be out in the field. Could you do anything? Like, well, no, but, you know, it was raining. What are you going to do? 
Well, we were out spraying. We dropped some cover crop seeds. We did this, this. Like, well, it was too too wet to be out there. They're like, well, it's too wet for a tractor. But when you're flying over the field, there's a lot of things that you can do. You know, and what about this corner that, you know, it's a pretty steep side hill and there's some trees. You could grow something there, but it's just too hard to get into. And like, well, yeah, we just kind of ignore that. It's like, well, we could plant that. We could spray something there. We could get into those spots. Like, So people start to realize what well, we've always done, there's more that can be added on to it. And this, uh, the, the drone application technology really can improve your access to fields, get into different spots at different times, and then really start to rethink about how you apply when you can effectively cost-effectively spot spray. That's really cool. And, and to be fair, some of those naysayers were, were probably right about some of these things years ago, right? But this technology is advancing. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I always say as facts change, my opinion changes. And if you were looking at, you know, the capabilities of drones two years ago, Definitely. That was a bad idea. You shouldn't do that. But look at where they're going and then invest for that. And one of my favorites is we got a small amount of investment from uh, a local ag VC group. And they're really forward thinking. And their, vote, their board voted four to one in favor of giving Rantizo a small amount of funding. And the one guy was, that was negative was just super negative like definitely this was the dumbest thing that they've ever put their money into <laughs> so 18 months later he comes up to talk to me and this is true farmer speak he goes you know i was against this and maybe that's something i should rethink and like, like, you'll never get an outright yeah i was wrong and i definitely should have changed my mind about that but maybe i should rethink this so that was that was like you take your victories where they are, and I, I'll count that as a as a minor victory. So yeah, I was happy with that one. That's fantastic. So, um, are there other shifts in investment that you're seeing? I know you're playing in this this space where uh, investment's necessary, and you might have seen a time where investment dollars were chasing um, chasing other technologies and. Are you seeing ebbs and flows in any one sector? Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of interest in automation uh, because we have an overarching view that there's not enough labor in the world to feed a growing population. So the, the problem is that there's more people and fewer agricultural employees. So we've got to feed more with less. And to do so, we've got to use automation and technology. And that is something that you're seeing a lot of these VC investments going into automated grain handling systems, automated picking robots. You know, automation is becoming a big deal. And Rantizo is one of the very early automated applications companies. So we can spray liquid and dry solutions on the field with one person right now. And ultimately, I want that to be zero. Interesting. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that uh, automation trend. Um, obviously, other markets, uh, developed markets, markets seem to be struggling the most from the lack of labor. You look at the U.S., Europe, Japan, um, and it's, you know, coincidentally, the markets that can afford automation. Yeah, absolutely. Like you're seeing a lot of these uh, 
strawberry pickers, you know, that that's something that's pretty interesting. Hemp is a market that's really growing and has huge labor demands. Um, you know, you're seeing they're hiring dozens of people to go out there and hand pick things or spray things or knock things down. And we can automate a lot of those processes. So is there anything that keeps you up at night these days besides uh, getting your next licensures for your next 10 states? Uh, my big thing is meeting demand for next year. So we've got sales and commitments that are getting lined up that dwarf what we've been able to do so far. So we're looking at some manufacturing partnerships. We're looking to raise some capital. Um, just a matter of you know keeping things relatively balanced because I'm really concerned that we're going to have more than we can handle next year, which is a problem, but a good problem to have. I think a lot of businesses would like to have that problem, Michael. <laughs> Very true. Is there anything else going on out there we didn't talk about? Uh, I don't think so. We, we hit, hit a lot of it. I'm excited to come out and see you guys uh, in January in Seattle. We're doing a field day uh, in Iowa City on uh, November 12th. So we're excited and people can check us out at rantizo.com and follow our Twitters at Rantizo Sprays. And uh, you can see what the latest and greatest things that are happening. Fantastic. And as Michael said, you can hear his full talk with more detail and an update on UAV applications in the United States at the Vision Conference in January. Michael, thanks again for your time. This has been a great time to chat with you. Thank you. I appreciate the venue. You can hear more on this topic and more on the future of farming at precisionag.com or join the discussion at our Vision Conference, January 14th through 16th in Seattle. See our full agenda and speaker lineup at thevisionconference.com. On behalf of the entire Precision Ag Global team, thanks for listening to our Visionary Series.